0: the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, let's begin.
0: You're listening to the best of Oral Sessions with Renee Paquette. These clips are handpicked by Renee from her to you. This frequency is the best of CM Punk. So you leave WWE. You're very passionate. You are a all in kind of guy when you're committed to doing something. So, of course, that brings us to something that nobody ever fucking does people say they want to do it you put in the hard work the hours you went and bought a place in milwaukee yep. to go out and train to step into an octagon walk me through that whole process of wanting to cross over into the mma world i mean i know you're a huge fan and still you know remain to be one but that whole process what went down
1: you know i always wanted to do it and being on the road 8 days a week for how long WWE people are on the road for uh I could never train consistently. I had planned on leaving uh when my deal was up in 2000 like at the end of 2010 or 2011 or what it was. Um and like that was kind of my plan because I I always thought like if I was going to train it was never just going to be a hobby for me. So the idea was I was going to leave. I needed time off anyway, but I would just devote a lot of time to full-time training. And then whenever, you know, I thought, cause I wasn't at that time, I thought like, a, you know, I, I wasn't a big enough name to where somebody was just going to be like, Hey, it's a spectacle. It's a freak show. Like everyone wants to watch you fight. So I was just going to do it. Possibly what you would say the right way, I was going to train, I was going to do amateur fights, I was just you know I was going to just take my life in a different direction just because I wanted so that, to do it
0: and you wanted to go amateur before deciding, hey, let's go full UFC
1: yeah, absolutely like yeah. i i did I did the way I did everything, the way everything unfolded was one hundred percent backwards, and you know everybody's journey in life is different, so huh. I never bothered to try to compare my path to somebody else's path. I think it's easy for somebody to sit on the outside and be like this bum just went right to the UFC and he didn't deserve it. But those people more often than not, they don't understand business, let alone the fight business. Um, Well, it
0: also comes down to, like I was saying, it's like the balls to be able to actually go, well, fuck it. This is the opportunity that's in front of me. And you better believe I'm going to put in the work and do the best that I can to step in because that's just where life has led me
1: to this point. Well, that's kind of, you know, I think a lot of people out there who are critical of, of me and the performances will say, oh, I'll get beat up for a million dollars. But my, my retort to that was always do the work that I did to get to the point where somebody would offer you that kind of money because there would be an audience to see you fight like 73 Twitter followers doesn't (laughs) equate to a million dollar payday to fight, you know, but like I said, everybody's path is different. And then I, I guess I, I got a little hot there at the end of my uh, my run in WWE, and I was faced with an opportunity. It was like, re-sign for three more years, even though I was already shot. I was already pretty mentally and physically exhausted. And I obviously, I obviously re-signed, and then that kind of delayed everything for another three years. And then the idea was, let's do this before you get too old. And, you know, goddamn, damn, it turns out I was too old. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But shit, it's like, again, like, I mean, I can relate just in the, in the parallels of like being in WWE and like, I'm not physically doing anything there, but just what that toll takes on you, you step away from there and it feels like you have this whole new life. You finally have the time to do the things that you've wanted to do. These other back burner projects that now you can pour your entire self into I mean, yeah, you, you've got to take the opportunities when they're there. I mean, when you've got millions of dollars on the table with WWE or, you know, you're going to obviously consider those options before moving onto the ladder, but shit, that's yeah.
1: hard. You know, I, I've been pretty fortunate. I, I've been, I've been offered some cool shit to do in my life. You know yeah. what I mean? And my, my thing is I, I never say no to an exciting opportunity, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, movies or, um, you know, fighting, wrestling, whatever. If the opportunity is there and it makes sense, you know, you have to at least consider it.
0: So how did that conversation with Dana White come about then? If you were like, you were headed more wanting to do the amateur rounds and then once you left WWE and on that hot streak, was it like right away, UFC was like, hey, come here and let's do this?
1: Well, well, so Lorenzo was still there and it was, it was Lorenzo who one day backstage, because I would go to a lot of shows and they always took great care of me, like ridiculous, you know? They would feed me. They'd give me free clothes. It was That's just all ridiculous. people need. Every,
0: That's all everybody, we
1: need. everybody was always just like super, super nice and hospitable. And they they treated me great. And then one day in the green room, Lorenzo was like, We were all amped up. We just watched some crazy fight, you know, it was like a wild knockout. And Lorenzo grabs me and he goes, Man, do you ever think about doing this? And I just went all the fucking time. And he <laughs> you know, like I get to see like the twinkle in his eye. And then when I when I left Cleveland uh, in January of 2000 what was it 14? You know, and, and news broke that I had went home for the duration of my contract or whatever <laughs> it was. That's when Dana texted me and he was like, "I heard you left. You know, what's what's up with Vince?" And I was just like, "I really don't know. I'm currently suspended. He's suspended me." And he was like, "All right, well, whenever you figure it out, like, you want to fight, let's do this." At first, I was like, "Well, that doesn't. You know, what the hell, what am I going to do? Like, jump right in." Who am I gonna fight? How would that work? That's not the way things are done. You know, you train, you take amateur bouts. There's a process, there's a road that is is most traveled that people do to get there. And then in talking to him, he was just like, No, he's like, You don't, you don't do that. He's like, I'm offering you a lot of money to come fight for me, you know? And he's like, You're gonna go fight for free for somebody and you're probably gonna make somebody else a whole lot of money and like I mean, it made a lot of sense. You know, uh, I call fights now for um, CFFC, which you can watch on UFC Fight Pass. And sometimes I'm calling amateur fights and amateur fights. And there's different rules in different states and different commissions. But more oftentimes than not, amateur fights are contested while they're wearing shin guards, sometimes headgear. So it's literally just like you're sparring in the gym. And that's because Uh you really don't want to take a shin across your forehead for no money. So that kind of turned into, yeah, well, yeah, why do I want to do that at all? (laughs) I'll take a naked shin across my forehead if I'm getting paid, you know, like that's the risk reward kind of deal. And it just sort of blossomed from there. You know, I still talk to Dana and he's always been super, super good to me. And it was, that was literally the idea. I think they flew here on the jet one time while they were flying to Toronto to go talk to, or maybe maybe it was Montreal to talk to uh, St. Pierre. So they like pit stopped in Chicago. We had dinner, and then they got right back on a, uh, the jet and and flew to Montreal to to go have a meeting with him.
0: Rich people lifestyles, huh? Just
1: bizarre. Stop the
0: jet. That's insane. Right. Um. What about the parallels between Dana and Vince? Like, are they cut from the same cloth?
1: I think there's levels to it, and obviously you can draw like the they're both like right wing. A word I'll use is weirdo because obviously they vote based on what's good for their pocketbook. You know, if I had to really compare and contrast, I would say Dana's more generous. Um, I I think Dana does a lot of stuff for the fighters behind the scenes. I think there's a lot of locker room money thrown around that people don't know about. And he gets a lot of flack for, you know, I, that being said, I I do also think fighters need to get paid a whole hell of a lot more, (laughs) you know, but a lot of that time when he lashes out about when people are complaining about, you know, pay and, and unionization, like it's because he knows, hey, I just gave that guy 250 grand like under the table, you know, But you yeah. can't talk about it, but he should still pay people more. And the fighters need to get together and unionize anyway. Just like the wrestlers.
0: Yeah. What do you think's going on with that? Do you think that that's going to happen? Nothing no. will happen with that?
1: No. And it's because there's no such thing as the boys. It's a trope oh, we're on the road and these people are our family. And like I said, once you're out of the bubble, you don't hear from anybody anymore. Those people don't pay your bills. There's always going to be a handful of people that will undercut everybody else just to get ahead a little bit. Um, yeah. And there's there seems to be a lot of people that um, not only are just by nature are boot lickers, they just love the taste. <laughs> so they just, you're supposed, to back lick, for more. you're supposed to lick the boot. You're not supposed to eat the entire thing.
0: <laughs> okay, let's talk about you doing commentary for CFFC because it seems like you fucking love it.
1: Oh, I absolutely love it. I despise being away from April. I despise being away from Larry, but I absolutely love CFFC. They are a super classy organization that has tremendous production and the talent is crazy. I hate saying blessed because I feel like that has a religious connotation. So I like to say fortunate. You know,
0: life can be really cool sometimes. It's very cool yes. the way some things work out and um, paths lead to certain things. And like, yeah, I mean, even the fact that I was able to like write a cookbook, I can't believe that that actually happened. It's still hilarious to me that someone let me do that.
1: Do you think you suffer from like imposter syndrome? Oh,
0: with everything I do.
1: Yeah. Every little thing I do, I'm
0: like, who's going to find me out?
1: So here's what I've discovered in my 42 years on earth is everybody feels that way. I think you're an asshole
0: if you don't feel like that.
1: The successful people are the ones that just fucking ignore it and they just do. I always go back to me fighting in the UFC. It's easy For somebody on the outside to be like, well, you lost. It's a failure. You're a loser. And I just go, yeah, but I did it. You know what I mean? And I'm not going to be on a deathbed or my life's not going to flash before my eyes. And I'm going to go, man, I wish I did that because I did it. And I look at that like everything, everything in my life. I look at fighting the movies I've done all these opportunities and I have no regrets. I never said no to anything that I wanted to do. Um I've never agreed to do anything that I didn't want to do. And if that's failure to some people then I just I kind of feel bad for them and I just move on to the next fucking thing. But everybody everybody feels that way. I I said it on the first week on set The Girl on the Third Floor. I was like, "Hey guys, after every fucking take, I'd go, "Guys, you watch these dailies and Turns out you're like, ooh, we made a mistake. Let me know early, you know, because I can just pick up my wife and my dog and we can go home and, you know, no harm, no foul, you know. But everything's like a learning experience, like even the bad stuff.
0: Yeah. Imposter syndrome is funny. I've always felt like that when I'm labeled as a broadcaster because I don't know shit about being a broadcaster. I actually don't even know shit about conducting an interview, really. I'm just shooting the shit with you. But when people are like, oh, you should do that, that's a thing you should do. I really don't know that that's even true. I have not a clue. It always throws mm. me for a loop.
1: I was no, think you've I'm done, like a you've done, liar. you've done famously for yourself. I remember when you first got there, and I was always, I was always like, she needs to do commentary, and it wasn't so much so that you I thought, did that to me. No, 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 no. See, it wasn't <laughs> so much that I thought you were brilliant at commentary. I'd never heard you commentate shit, but knowing at the level the commentary was and who was always there, I <laughs> yeah. was always just like, fucking just change shit up. Yeah. Like do something different. I'm begging you.
0: You know, I was a huge advocate for that as well of like, let's change that shit. Let's make it a little bit different. And then they're like, fine. And then yeah. you're stuck there going, and then, what? And then, you, and then you realize <laughs> you got Daisy? the headset
1: on and you're like, oh my God, like, what, what, what is fuck? going on? I'll <laughs> yeah. never forget. I'll never forget the look on Michael Cole, especially Jerry Lawler, because I was seated next to Jerry Lawler. I had just narrowly avoided surgery on my hip. It's like two days before my birthday. I'm wrestling on the Bragging Rights pay-per-view. We're in either St. Paul um, or Minneapolis, Minnesota, Target Center. I don't know. And it's cold as fuck in the building. And I ran six miles. That was my workout in the morning. I look back now thinking like, man, on days you wrestled, you really didn't need to fucking work out, you know, and I can't get warm and I can't get loose for this match. And I tear my gluteus medius muscle, which apparently is very, very hard to tear. Edge gave me his suplex where he bumps me on my belly. It feels like a rubber band in my hip pops. And then I'm supposed to do a leapfrog to avoid his spear and I can't jump. Like, I'm just fucked. And I get back and Dean Malenko's like, oh, it looks like you're hurt. You okay? And I'm like, I don't know. Something exploded in my hip. And once I get off the trainer's table, like, I can't walk. I I think I got an MRI. It was my birthday. And I think I did commentary in Green Bay, even though I could barely walk. And I like limped to the ring. And it was. I was always just like, well, I'm hurt. Like, why do I have to be on television? Like, just let me fucking go home. I flew to Nashville to get surgery. And the doctor was like, how did you get in here? And I was like, what do you mean? I I just, I walked. And he was like, if you tore your glute medius, he's like, you're not going to be walking as well as you are. He puts me in his MRI machine, which is way more high tech than whichever one I got previous. And then he gets me into his office and he's got two computer screens and he shows me both MRIs. And the first MRI, he's like, you see this? It looks torn off the bone. He's like, and you see mine, this white area? He's like, it's just torn. He's like, I'm not operating on you. You just need to do physical therapy and, and rehab and you'll be fine. And I was stoked because that meant I'm not getting cut. No surgery is bueno. And then I could just go home and fuck off until, you know, I, I needed that refresher. I needed to be off TV. Isn't that crazy to relax. how people
0: like you get it and get like an injury like that. You're like, okay, hey, so long as I don't need surgery, it just like, means I can have a little bit of time
1: off. Great. Thank God. Yeah, I remember I remember when Paul London broke Chavo's face and Chavo was like so stoked because it was an injury that enabled him to still be able to do everything. He could still work out. He can go running on the beach. He can swim. He could do everything. His face was just broken. And he was so fucking excited because he was like, yeah, I'm not in a sling. I'm not, I don't got ACL surgery, nothing. He's like, dude went on vacation, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I get home and Vince calls me and he's like, I heard you didn't need surgery. That's great. Sending you a plane ticket. We're going to have you do commentary until you're ring ready. And I was bummed because I didn't want to fly. And I remember the first night on commentary, Vince started yelling in my headset and I elbowed Lawler. I wrote a note to him. I was like, which is the volume button? And he (laughs) pointed to it and I turned it all the way down. When we took the headsets off after the show, I was like, did you not know you could do that? He's like, I mean, I knew I could do that. He's like, we're going to get yelled at. Vince never said anything to me.
0: (laughs) I used to have moments like that too, where he would be giving me shit in my ears. And I would just sort of like, you know, hear his information, but I didn't like sell it to the camera. And he'd be like, did you hear me? And I would just like stare in the camera, like just burn a hole through it. Like, yes, I heard you.
1: I just found it to be difficult. Like I'm trying to do a job. I'm trying to watch this and call what's going on. And if you're yelling at me to say stuff, it's not helping. So I just turned them off. And I don't know why more people don't do that.
0: God, why didn't you tell me that years ago? That would have made my life (laughs) a hell of a lot easier. Shit.
1: Another funny story, I was doing commentary with Josh Matthews one time and Cena took the monitors off the table and they broke the table and he chased Wade Barrett out of the the thing and we couldn't see because we had no monitors and Vince yelled, call what's in the fucking monitors, call what's in the monitors. And Josh live on the air goes, we don't have any fucking monitors. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. There's nothing
0: better than a moment yes. of like real reality like that during the show. It's the absolute best. I would always crack up like watching like Cole get mad or watching Graves get mad, but then we'd all just have like a total laugh during the next on camera. Like and we remember doing an on camera one time and we were saying something, I think we were saying something about Bray Wyatt. Anyways, one of the, at one of the times we had to take it very, very seriously, like whatever's going on with a firefly fun house. And I was going to say something and I guess Vince didn't like what I said. So he's yelling at me during the on cam, a a 15 second on cam. I'm like, well, I can't recover from this. So I started talking and then just shut up and like blankly stared into the camera for the rest of the on cam. Like there's no way to recover from that shit. Yeah, It's it's deflating. It is the worst. Um, Okay. So we've talked about an abundance of different things here today. I don't know if there's anything (laughs) that we missed, but one thing I would love to know is what would it take For you to get back into a wrestling ring. It needs to happen. There's no, like, it just, it has to,
1: right? Well, I I think the landscape is currently much different than when I left, right? You could play the the game where you're like, oh, if AEW was an option, would you have gone right after you left WWE? You know, if you're going to play that game, there's no way they would have handled it the way they handled it with suspending me for two months and then nobody contacting me and then the next thing i know i get release papers on my wedding day that wouldn't have happened if there was an aew because yeah. then they probably would have approached me and been like hey your suspension's up ready to come back to work like let's work this out you know or handled it like any other sports organization would have handled star pitcher fucking going home you know they're not just gonna let them leave the team they're not going to let them go to a a rival organization um what would it take oh gosh i uh, without wanting to insult anybody on either side of the fence any wwe talent or aew talent it would take above all an interesting scenario a story that would be fun to tell Also, just the stupidest amount of money, but they could save themselves a whole lot of money if they just presented, uh, just like a a fun storyline. Now, what that is, I don't know. I'm a pretty picky guy, especially at this point. You know, I, I think there's more interesting people on the AEW side of things for me to wrestle, but that's just because I've never wrestled them before. Right. Young Bucks, Kenny Omega you know, talking about your husband, like I look at that and I go, well, I wrestled him already. So mm-hmm. it's just less interesting than something new. And on the on the WWE side of things, I don't know that there's anybody there currently that I haven't wrestled that I would be interested in wrestling.
0: Would you have ever wanted to wrestle Joe in WWE?
1: Yeah, but what are we doing? Are we just having a wrestling match? Yeah. You know, like the Ring of Honor stuff we did was like a labor of love. You know what I mean? Because you had all the creative input and coming up with that. And it was really just we we're backed against the wall and Joe had beat everybody already. So it was like, well, what do you do? Well, I'm the next opponent. And if he just beats me, what do we do? At that time I was obsessed with sixty minute draws. It just turned into, well, why don't we go sixty? And then you're still the champ and you haven't beat me. So maybe that's something we can play off in the future. And, you know, we did.
0: Okay, so that's still a dot 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 to be determined. Either a, a shit did you ton you, of money or a great story? An, Did you think there was going to be
1: Did you think I feel like a shit mag even saying that shit ton of money thing? But that's just like you know. It's, I uh,
0: don't think there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong well, with the, saying that
1: on, at all. On the on the WWE side of things, it's like let's be honest. We got of fucking. There's baggage, right? There's stuff that's got to be worked through. I don't know how you get there. I don't. I really don't.
0: What about New Japan? Is that something that you'd ever look into oh, traveling in again?
1: There's the huge part of me that never wanted, like the goal wasn't to be a WWE superstar. You know what I mean? I was content with wrestling in Japan, but Japan was a lot different when I went over there. And I got told by Hashimoto, as he was paying me, was uh, you, um, good worker, uh, too big for cruiserweight, too small for heavyweight. And I was like, that sucks thanks a lot. But yeah, things are different now. And I, I do think there's guys in New Japan, I think Okada, but even saying that is just like, I haven't really seen a lot of his stuff. I apologize profusely, Okada-san. One of these days, maybe I'll get around to it. Maybe I'm going to get on the treadmill and I'll watch you some go. your stuff right now. I, I just sound like the old guy who doesn't fucking know what's going <laughs> on. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> the way that I'm interpreting this is that you're open to perhaps a line of communication.
1: I thought I've always said that. But it's just like Lorenzo and Dana being like, hey, would you ever want to do this? And me going, what? Like, that didn't mean I put gloves on and I jumped in the fucking cage that instant. It was a process. Great Batman villain said, if you're good at something, you never do it for free. Not that I'm looking for a job. I'm actually looking to do a shit ton of acting. But you ask the questions and I give you the answers. That's uh, That's how this podcast works.
0: With big fights every week, there's never been a better time to give FanDuel Sportsbook a shot and join the action on FanDuel Fight Nights. Because right now, you can place your first bet risk-free. That's right. You're going to get up to 1000 bucks back if you don't win. FanDuel gives you so many bets to choose from. There's parlays, round props, method of victory bets, and so much more. FanDuel is the number one rated sportsbook app in America. It's incredibly easy to use. It's such a no-brainer. Plus, it's safe and secure and real quick, fast payouts. You get that money right back in your pocket ASAP. One of my favorite features. You got to stay rich, you know, keep that money in your bank account. This app is so easy to use that when you win, you actually get paid in as little as two hours. So with FanDuel in your corner, you'll always get exclusive odds boosts, great promotions, and so much more to make your FanDuel fight night even more exciting. That is why they are America's number one sports book. So sign up with the promo code Renee to bet risk free up to $1,000 on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. That is promo code Rene, Renee, R-E-N-E-E. Disclaimer. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Or text next step to 53342 for Arizona, 1 800 gambler, or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia, 1 888 789 7777, or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut, 1 800 270 71117 for confidential help in Michigan, TN Redline 1 800 889 9789 in Tennessee, or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. We need to really. <laughs> rewind here very quickly because I keep getting blasted with shit on Twitter people like you brought CM Punk back to wrestling how am I responsible for this I just think it's funny I'll take it
1: I just think it's funny to blame you
0: I don't and then, mind Then her. I have
1: a scapegoat. I can just, I can blame you. When it when it blows up and goes wrong, I can just. Yeah,
0: what like, if it's the shits? Then, then my Twitter. <laughs> my Twitter's really going to go the other way. Because I was getting all these like grateful tweets of like, you did it. I'm like, you're right. I did. I single-handedly fixed
1: wrestling. Well, I, I think the, the first wrestling thing I did since I, I left was Fox, right? Yeah. You know, so, you know, yeah, it's all your fault. I can't blame it on anybody else. I won't blame it on the people that paid me. No, I'll blame it on you.
0: How could you? No, yeah, I didn't pay you. I, I think I doing, just tried to coerce you as much as I could. I think
1: doing the Fox show with you, um, honestly, that I hadn't spoken to you since I left, yeah. probably right. Yeah. Um. So rekindled a friendship, and I think was kind of like the gateway to opening up the possibility in my head that you know wrestling could have been an option. I don't know where in the timeline AEW kind of started or launched during like the, the whole Fox thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was definitely before that because John was already doing his stuff with AEW. I'm not really sure the time frame on that either. I My brain doesn't work like that. Because
1: anytime. there was a show before, I, I won't, I'll screw it all up. Like the Young Bucks, Omega, Cody, they did a show yes. in Chicago before AEW was, I guess, technically officially a thing. Yeah. I don't know where in that I was I was doing the Fox thing, but the Fox thing was too good to be true. It was great. It was because in fact people, too good to be true. Because people legitimately are like, "Oh, he went back to the WWE." No. I w- I went to Fox. We
0: got that Fox money. And like
1: that's what it was like so insane to me. Yeah. I was like, "Wait a second, really?"
0: It was fun though. It was a fun little gig that it, we had. It
1: really for a bit. it really was. And and it's amazing the way people in the real world treat other human beings.
0: Isn't it so eye-opening?
1: Fox flew to Milwaukee. I was in I was in Milwaukee, you know. Yeah. They're like, we'll come to Chicago, we'll come to Milwaukee. And Jacob Spoon and Ben flew to Milwaukee and I had a nice it was like kind of a formal but informal, you know, meeting. We ordered yeah. food. And I was just, I was very adamant of, guys, I don't want anything to do with them. I right. don't want to work for them. So yeah. I don't know if this is like a Trojan horse.
0: Right. Right. Because you must feel like they're like, okay, we'll yeah. get them to come do this. And then that's the gateway to actually getting you back to signing with
1: them. But I didn't, I didn't want that. And I, I, want, I was like, I, I, I want transparency and honesty. And they were like, we have SmackDown coming to Fox. We want an analyst show. Yeah. as like a lead- in or you know like whatever, just like we have a football panel mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, it makes sense. it's a good idea and they're like you're you're the guy, you're the white whale And I was like, well, I'm the white whale that probably has nothing good to say <laughs> How And they were like it like doing they, that though they were like, we need honesty. we're paying them a lot of money and man, we hope the show's good. and yeah. I was like, great. and I thought I was fair yeah. on the show when stuff was bad I was like, eh. There was mm-hmm. some stuff I liked, you know, but yeah, it was, I, I think that was the whole start of, you know, possibly the idea, just an idea, you know what I mean? Yeah. And working with good people, Jacob, like all, everybody at Fox is like sweet, so yeah. great.
0: It was such a great experience working there. And like you said, it was like, it was cool for you and I to be able to rekindle a friendship. And here we are. And now... CM Punk is going to wrestle this Sunday.
1: Oh my God.
0: (laughs) Okay, so before we even get into that, so I know you've been doing a bunch of media, but I still will ask you the questions that need to be asked. Why AEW? What made that make the most sense to you? And like, I have a million other questions about it after
1: that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty self-explanatory at this point. I was able to kind of just sit back and watch things unfold and you couldn't compare the two. You can compare the two, but... Knowing who they are, why would I go back?
0: You must have had conversations before signing to AEW. You must have kind of had conversations on both sides of the coin, right? So that being said, <laughs> so what were your conversations with Tony like?
1: My conversations with Tony were very relaxed and um
0: Were they? Because he's a hyper
1: guy. Yeah, but no, but but they weren't so business oriented, right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. You know, I think famously everybody thinks they know the story of, like, you know, Tony having a third party, like, reach out to me and be, like, here. And I was just, like, uh, you know, the timing's not right. And, guys, like, I, I, I need, you know, stuff done, like, a certain way. Like, yeah. you know, I'm not saying I'm prettiest girl at the prom or anything like that. But, you know, like, let's let's sit down and talk. And, yeah. you know, that that, like, never happened until Tony was just, like, yeah, you know, like, I want to sit down and talk. And I sat, I talked with him. And... Based on things he said, I took a wait-and-see approach. Like He said certain things that made me go, okay, I'll I'll sit back and see if this happens. Like what? Just a TNT deal. Um, And this is not a slight on Tony at all. This is a slight on every other person every six months of my entire wrestling career who came around and was like, we got money, we got a backer, we got a yeah. money mark, brother, and we got <laughs> we got TV and we're going to use all the old ECW guys. We're bringing it back. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, my entire career prior to WWE literally was that every 6 months. Yeah. There's a guy named John Collins I, who famously did time for bouncing checks to not Perfect. just me, but a whole bunch of guys. Yeah. So, you know, really it's just like, "Oh, I've heard it before." And I'm not one to rush into stuff now. I'm 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 older and I'm wiser. and So really, I just kind of like took the backseat approach. And, you know, to me, timing's everything. And eventually it got to the point where it was just like, man, okay, this feels right. And then the pandemic hit. And then I was just like, well, now we just have more time to sit back and wait.
0: Well, you knew that this was going to happen that long ago.
1: Yeah, I think so. Oh, shit. I think so. Wow. And then again, I thought coming back with no fans would have sucked. Hat is off to every single person who worked in front of nobody, to me, that's the whole juice of the art of professional wrestling yeah. is getting those people like invested. And without that there, that had to be so hard.
0: Could you imagine not having been able to have the moment that you got to have in Chicago? I mean, that is like- I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have let that as, happen. Could you, like it just, it couldn't have happened.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't have let that happen. And then- there's a series of happy accidents that was just like, oh, I'm glad we waited. I'm glad it happened this yeah. way. And timing is just everything. It was the perfect storm, perfect, absolutely perfect.
0: How nervous were you going out there, waiting for
1: that music to hit? And here we go. It's been. I mean, have you seen some of the backstage footage yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah. I don't know if it comes through because I definitely think there's a degree of me that's just like play it cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. like, I had I had a couple friends with me. I had a friend, Nora.
0: You know another person named Nora? Nora
1: Flanagan. I've wow. known Nora since I was 14 years old. She's, to Nora. She's the number one public school teacher in Chicago.
0: Oh, good. She's
1: a badass. She's like, I've never seen you do any of your wrestling stuff. She's like, can I come with? I was like, yeah. She's
0: absolutely. never seen you do it? No. How is that
1: possible? And you know what's funny about that is I met Nora because I was friends with her brother. I would wrestle in the backyard with her brother. Oh. <laughs> right? Yeah. So... Yeah. So she's like, can I come with? I was like, absolutely. And I'm so glad she did because she was, she was the den mother. She's got two kids. So she was like, she saw me. She was like, come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's go walk. Let's go walk around. You know what? You need a banana. Let's go get a banana. You know what I mean? And I would just, yeah. Okay. Great.
0: Cause I would be, I'd
1: be sitting in my room. And I would just be like bouncing, you know, like, and she could, she could tell. So I'm glad I had my support system there and everybody helped me out, but I was just pacing and I couldn't sit still. I'd go to catering, I'd eat banana, I'd get up, I'd walk around, I'd be like, oh, I want to watch this match. Dante Martin, I got to watch this kid. And then I found myself like eight seconds staring at the screen and I'd be (laughs) Not
0: paying attention. Yeah. I'd
1: be like, like, I'd just like zone out and be like, oh, a fly. I wasn't focused at all because I literally didn't know what I was going to say because I knew I had to go out there and hear and feel the crowd before I could formulate any kind of a thought. Because yeah. I knew if I planned to say something and I went out there, it would, everything would go sideways it's more anyway.
0: pressure on you really that way to like try to map out what you want to do.
1: I think that's the juice of the art. This is how the people are reacting. This is who's there and working towards that. Eddie Guerrero taught me a long time ago. You know, He was like, before the show starts... When they dim the lights, go out there and listen. Go out there. You have to be on the other side of the curtain, and you listen. And when they dim the lights, the crowd will pop. And based on that pop, you'll be able to hear. Oh, it's eighty percent kids. Making me like nervous thinking about that already. Like, oh, it's a, it's a. I hear it's predominantly guys. Yeah. Right. You hear a lot of ladies' voices. You know, The, Mm -hmm. the the screams are higher pitched, and then you can formulate what you're going to do based on that. If it was kids, I could get away with doing more goofy shit. If it's guys, ooh, we're going to have a fucking banger. You know what I mean? It's Mm going to be more sports oriented. And that was just one of the things that I was taught. And-
0: What did you hear?
1: I didn't hear shit because the instant my music hit, I heard the first riff and then- Oh, because you
0: opened the show, duh.
1: And then I heard a jet engine. It was on top of me. And people have asked me what it feels like. And the only thing I can tell them is there's, you know, an elevated train here in Chicago, the L. Go stand underneath it. As a double train goes by, that's what it felt like. It was loud, but I've heard loud pops before. Sure, This one, it's like you felt it. I didn't just hear it. I felt it. It was on top of me. And I was just, and then I went out there and sometimes everything becomes a blur. But this time I, you see it. I calmly, like, I just get down on my knees and Mm -hmm. I'm just like, all right. Yeah. And I soak it in. I enjoy it. You see me cry. And it's a total release. And I feel like
0: I'm like being a mark right now, like living this out through you again right now. <laughs> it's, it's
1: literally, I, I said, I, I've been doing a ton of press and yeah. I said it to somebody, I can't remember who, it was just a moment in time where I was like, I'm exactly where I need to be and everything is right. Let's go knock it out of the park.
0: I'm excited for those fans who for the past six, seven years that have been doing the CM Punk chants during every show that comes through Chicago now got to finally get that big payoff. Like yeah. finally, it's happening. You're back, and to get to do it in Chicago
1: and ice cream bars
0: and the <laughs> fucking ice cream bars. I heard that you footed the bill for that. Is that true?
1: Um. Yeah.
0: How much did yeah. that cost? Uh, you
1: don't want to know.
0: I kind of do. I want to you know how much ice cream bars. You cost. don't want to know.
1: You don't <laughs> want to know.
0: Though. How much was it?
1: I'm not telling you. Come on, will you tell me it's when the sixteen thousand ice cream bars? Okay.
0: People were very happy about those. I, they,
1: they needed to be. It was perfect. Yeah. It was perfect because it was right up my alley. It's very Andy Kaufman. It's milk, yeah. it's milk and cookies after a show. I've done it before, but on a much smaller scale. Like when I do conventions or you know, Q&As publicly, mm-hmm. I, I'll bring pizza. I'll bring donuts. But I never brought 15,000 donuts.
0: So Sunday, you are wrestling. How yeah. do, You've been able to go out there. You got to do a promo. You got to get back into the world of wrestling but now you got to wrestle. It's clobbering time, yeah. brother. Yep. How do you feel?
1: Nervous. Same nerves as I felt Friday before going out there because it's a different thing. Now I got to perform and there's seven years of expectation. I feel like there's an entire generation of people out there that have maybe not seen sure. what was so neat about me. It's great to be praised. It's great to, you know, people say nice things about you. And I'm always just like, no, 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 no you know, I'm, I'm only human. I'm just like everybody else. You hear the bad stuff and you're like, he's not an athlete. And I'm like, all right.
0: How do you feel actually having a match though? And working with Darby so far, I mean, you've only been able to have, you know, however many interactions with Darby up till now, but why was he the perfect person for you to come back and get into a program with?
1: When I was 15, I skateboarded. I was looking to try to find like an identity and I was, you know, opinionated punk rock kid. And yeah you know, all the jocks made fun of me and stuff like that. And it's just, there's a big thing about Darby that reminds me of me back yeah. then. And if I was a kid and I saw him, he would be my favorite wrestler just yeah. because he's different. You know what I mean? It's not about- He's going to
0: bump around like crazy.
1: He looks different. He's got tattoos, punk rock. So yeah. it's, there, there's something there.
0: Working with Sting. What about yeah. having Sting in AEW? What do you think about like how he's been used in AEW? Uh, how you're going to be working with him going forward?
1: That's a situation that I never- ever thought was a possibility, right? I mean, you're talking about a guy who has been on top everywhere he's ever gone. And I really kind of don't know if he gets the credit for his wrestling mind. And it's kind of hard for him to not have a different perspective based on everybody he's worked with and everywhere he's been. I don't know if he was ever... Positioned as the top guy, but I feel like he was the heart and soul of WCW, especially towards the end. You know, I mean, dude was on the first Nitro, dude was on the last Nitro. I mean, he's been in main events with Ric Flair. He's worked, he's worked everybody. He's been around for so long. I just don't think he gets the credit for that. You know what I mean? I don't think he gets the credit for being a top guy because. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe he always played, quote unquote, second fiddle to Flair or Hogan or whatever. But man, and and then they always had to rely on him. Sting was always there.
0: I like the way that he's being used in AEW. It's like, it's really putting a great spotlight on him, putting him in a position to succeed.
1: And what a great way for him to be able to like. I look at it like this and I haven't seen anybody make this comparison. It's like when Harley managed Vader in WCW. Mm Mm-hmm. Where there might have been a generation of people who watched and they're like, Vader's a badass and he's, he's, he's got that guy as his manager. But like right. Harley was a badass and he moved into the position where he was managing. I feel like that's Babyface sting yeah. right now as yeah. like the manager. He occasionally works. It's a delight to see, you know, is a guy who narrowly avoided being paralyzed and... Now he's still doing it. And I, and I think it's great. He doesn't got to work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Thank God. He's used sparingly. And it's, to me, it's a delight. Because yeah. you, get these, you, get the, you get these really weird situations where it's, you know, it's me and it's Sting and it's Darby in a ring. And that's, oh, fuck. I'm, putting a, a, I'm putting an age on myself. But that's three generations right there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's wild. I was pinching myself being in the ring with Sting afterwards he was like, Hey, I'm, I meant everything I said. And I was just like, super cool. I had to act like tough guy out there, but I was, you know, inside, I was just like,
0: what was the direction that you were given when you went out to debut? Because I know obviously you just went out and you could feel it. What all were you told to do with that time to fill?
1: Phil? I mean, close to nothing. I think I was the one who was like, Hey, just so you know, like, here's what I'm going to say. And Tony was like, I trust you. And I was like, okay, well, so, you know, like, I'm not going to swear. You know, you don't got to worry about anything like that. You know, I think that's the youthful exuberance of AEW is Tony trusts people to go out there and, you know, and going forward, we'll all learn from our mistakes. If somebody gets the microphone and goes out there and Tony has trust in them and they blow it, well, that person probably won't have that freedom anymore, you know, or at least it'll get limited. But right now, I I think that's the magic of it is... Hey Phil, you and Sting, what what do you think of you and Sting being in the ring? What how do you, how would you guys do that? And me sitting down with Sting and being like, "Sting," and Sting looking at me <laughs> going, "You're the promo guy," and I'm going, "You're Sting." Yeah. You know, but it but there's a synergy and there's discussion and it's not writers in a room that don't even watch wrestling yeah. writing stuff for characters that they don't understand. So you don't have individual voices. And, you know, me and Sting have an individual voice. And like, I can't tell Sting what he's going to say. Sure. Sting can't tell me what he's going to say. I don't know what Darby's going to say. You get three different generations who talk three different ways. And Tony trusts us to come up with the best possible stuff. And just talking about that segment that we did, I don't think it could have gone any better. No. It could not have gone better. It,
0: just to be able to have to feel natural and be super organic. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people are craving in the world of wrestling is to be able to see people just go out and do the thing they do and having that trust from, you know, whether it be Tony or from the networks or whatever. Um, one thing that I thought was really cool after your debut was when uh, AEW released the footage from the truck. Yeah, did you see that? that was oh my so god! Cool. Wasn't that amazing?
1: That was super cool. And like the funny thing about that's that off is, to those you
0: people that crew,
1: you ask those guys, "Hey, did you guys have fun?" Like they're having fun yeah. in the truck. I know it sounds stressful when Tim's barking out camera numbers and you know yeah. all that stuff, but that, I don't that's people do that. I would have a seizure. yeah. That's that's high paced. I mean that he's done a WrestleMania with like forty something cameras.
0: I would literally explode.
1: Yeah, I'd have a nervous breakdown.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent.
1: But they were having fun. I think it resonates and the crowd sees that and they, they want to have that same.
0: Yeah. How has it been um, adjusting to a new locker room?
1: So it's a new locker room, but it's not, there's so many familiar faces. Mm -hmm. I've I've known Cody forever. Sandra's making tights. Jan's Jan's doing makeup. (laughs) You know what I mean? So like there's familiar faces and stuff like that. I mean, like I said, in the truck, people who have directed WrestleMania is like, I, I, I know a lot of the people behind the scenes a lot of familiar faces, but a lot of new ones too. Some of them make me feel old, <laughs> but man, do some of them make me feel super cool. Yeah. You know, there, there's more than one conversation I've had that people were like, hey, I just have to say that you helped me through a bad spot.
0: People that are in the locker room have said this. Yes. Oh, that's cool.
1: People have tattoos based on me. What? Yeah. like Ew. it's. I'm not saying. It's a lot. Some of it's heavy. But yeah. it's all positive, you know, wow. and it's it's overwhelming, yeah. you know. It, it really is, and you know, Shane Hagadorn. Shane Hagadorn is a kid I trained at Ring of Honor. Okay, right, Ring of Honor. He works backstage. Wow. So it's just that's cool. It's wild, so man. Yeah, yeah it it it, it really it really is crazy. And seeing all like I mean Serena, I saw Serena yeah. yesterday, and like
0: with her hair, yeah.
1: And like, I gave Serena a big hug and she's just like, Hey, you know, I'm sorry. And I was like, I'm sorry if I was ever too serious and I was a jerk, you know? Like, so there's like a lot of that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of therapy going on. There's a lot of people that used to work where I used to work and we all come together and there's like, it's, it's just like, like what what does
0: that feel like to like, it's just such a different time for you to have left. The time that you had in WWE, which has obviously been very well documented, yep. uh, to where you're at now and having that time, like, who are you as a person walking into this?
1: I think I'm a, a person that is is grateful that I can get back to falling in love and enjoying professional wrestling, but also knowing that I don't have to be consumed by it and so obsessed to a point of self-destruction.
0: Looking at you being there with Christian being there, other names that have potentially been rumored to be joining AEW to structuring the shows and kind of, you know, not necessarily writing the shows, but kind of working on that stuff with Tony. I mean, I I don't know how public stuff is of how the shows are put together, but it seems like everyone just kind of does their own segments. Right.
1: So based on my experience thus far, I don't think guys are doing whatever they want. But everybody certainly has some sort of an input and everybody right. certainly has a direct line to Tony sure. and he's the guy who says yes or no. I think a guy like me, Christian, I think lead by example is the key there. I, yeah. I, and I, I think it's not, hey guys, this is the way to do it. It's, hey guys, there's no one way to do it. But in my experience, I think maybe this could be the best way to right. do it. Yeah. But what do you think? It, I mean, it's it's how I handled it with Sting Yeah. because there's definitely respect and I'm not going to tell Sting, hey, this is what I think. But we literally sat there back and forth going, what do you think? No, what do you think? No, yeah. you tell me. No, you tell me. Okay, well, what about this? No, you know what? Oh, yeah, Hey, that's a really good idea. Mm-hmm. This way. Oh, wow. You know, and then, and it grows from there.
0: Which is like great right within your own segment, but that's also like you and Sting, two dudes have kind of been able to do it all. But right. then you have some of these newer guys that are less familiar with doing TV, less familiar with- I guess just kind of even just following along with the show, making sure there's not a lot of the same finishes or a lot of the same whatnot happening in the show.
1: Well, I think eventually, you know, we work with those guys. Yeah. And, you know, for better or for worse, they will feel and see the difference in experience, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think if they want to learn and they want to not get better, I'm not here to make anybody better or anything like that, but just gain new experience and new perspective and maybe open their eyes a little bit to Mm -hmm. something different or something they didn't think of previously. I think that's kind of the idea, right? And that's the way the business has always been built. I came up in a place that was a shark tank full of bullies that were protecting their spot. And it wasn't about what was good or bad or right or wrong. It was what I did was always bad and it was always wrong. And there were people who ran the show who told me to my face, I don't get it. And I would just be like, well, what the fuck are we doing? You know, like, cause if I'm in developmental and to liken it to playing triple A ball, I want to make it to the major leagues. Mm -hmm. And if I'm hitting home runs, I'm the home run king in, in triple A ball. And I get called up to the major leagues and the guy on the team with the most home runs tells the hitting coach and the bench coach and the manager, that guy sucks. So I I came up around a lot of that, but I also think that's what made me a cycle breaker. Kofi's first day on the road, I was like, hey man, you're riding with me. And he was just like, okay, great. You know, because I got there and I... I was, I was picked, I was already a grown ass man and I had yeah. these other grown ass men like picking on me. And I was like, why is this like high school? Yeah. Like what, what, like I get it, but who that's, hurt you? Why is it like this? But that's the culture. That's what sure. they, that's what they want. We, yeah. we want you guys to fight and we want you to want his spot. And I, yeah. I never wanted anybody's spot. I wanted my own spot.
0: I saw that one of the reasons that you wanted to sign with AEW was because of the way of the handling of everything backstage to it not being leaked out about Brody Lee when he was sick.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's self-explanatory. You know, I, I think everybody always talks about the business and how it's a, it's a family. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's never, you know, that, that's never, I, I think that's just a naive way to look at it because there's people in charge that, that don't give a shit. And this was a breath of fresh air. It was a, a horrible, horrible situation. There's just something to be said about not running to the dirt sheets. Yeah. Oh, I have a nugget of information and whatever, I don't know, whatever high you get from being somebody in the know yeah. and talking about stuff that really is nobody else's business. Everybody just kept their mouth shut for, you know, as a request from, you know, somebody who unfortunately, you know, became a widow. I look at that and it wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen if it was anywhere else. Yeah. And I go, that's neat. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's nobody's, it's nobody's business. I understand people like to see how the sausage is made and they're into the, the backstage salacious stuff, Mm -hmm. but the shit was nobody's business.
0: Yeah. It's nice to see people just actually. And to
1: see, to see it protected It made me think, well, maybe, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's hope.
0: Do you have a Brody Lee story?
1: I remember fondly, like our mutual love for like All Japan early to late '90s All Japan main events. Right mm-hmm. to me, that was some of the best wrestling of all time. Kings Road, All Japan, Giant Baba shit. I can't remember. Maybe Bray got hurt. I got to work Brody on house shows, and we were the main event. And he was literally. I remember he come up to me. He was literally like, "What do you want to do?" And I just looked at him, and I went. All Japan 93, brother. (laughs) I was like, we're going to do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah. He was nervous. He was like, they're not going to let us do that. And I was like, I can do whatever (laughs) I want. You know what I mean? And it was just uh, so I I have those memories. Uh, You must have
0: talked shit to him about the Leafs all the time. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I mean, that's like on my phone. I still have all those texts. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I I look back at them and I'm just like, man, almost makes me want to see the Leafs win. But this year, I don't, this year but they, I,
0: they went far this but year. But I don't
1: want to see the Leafs win.
0: Calm down a little bit.
1: I did a whole uh, uh, a European tour with, uh, with uh, it, was, it was me and, and Daniel Bryan against uh, Brody and um, Redbeard with, yeah. with Bray as their, their manager. And I, I was fully concussed the whole tour. Oh. I was sick. I was dry heaving. Like I was, I was sick. And dude, dude took care of me. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like I owe him one. I think about him coming back and just being like, I'm fortunate. I'm still here. So let's fucking go.
0: I really like seeing this version of you going into it and just being excited to be there and not having to uh, be that wrestling obsessed. And you can just like enjoy those moments.
1: Doesn't feel like a fight. Yeah. Everything, everything. We're on
0: the same team.
1: Everything was a fight before. And the only time. I was happy was when I was in the ring because I had no boss. I could literally do whatever I wanted. Mm -hmm. That was it. I was in charge and I had fun and then the match would be over and it would be back to a fight. It's not a fight and I'm excited to see where this abundance of creativity leads, you know? Tone out the negativity and just focus on the positive stuff and Mm -hmm. let's entertain the people that are in the building and I just think that'll grow the audience. We hope you enjoyed the best of oral sessions. Follow Renee on social media at Renee Paquette and be sure to subscribe to her YouTube
0: channel. Also, rate and review this podcast.